Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast. My name is Naker Nibbling, and I will be your host. Today, I'm going to be taking a look at some players who've been performing well, some have been performing pretty poorly, and just try to make sense of their performance thus far. Unfortunately, I don't have anybody here with me tonight. I am running solo on this one. My normal co-host on this one, Blake Creamer, unfortunately came down sick, so sending best wishes and get well wishes to Blake tonight. Um, but before we get into the rest of the podcast, make sure you check out the Apples and Genos Discord server. You know, we've got hundreds of community members in there, all fantasy hockey minds who are trying to win their leagues just like you, so you can bounce ideas off them. Uh, you can also get the latest news in there. You can get content alerts whenever there's a podcast or a article dropping. You'll be the first to know if you're in there. If you're looking for help with your waiver wire pickups or if you're looking for a guaranteed response from myself for your fantasy hockey questions, you can get that over at the Patreon where for 5 bucks a month you'll get all that. Uh, for 10 bucks a month you can also get a monthly team review. I've done a few of those uh, here in October for some of the patrons in that tier and we're always looking to get them the best advice, waiver wire advice, uh, trade targets, uh, what to do with their team, what uh, categories they need to improve on uh, in their categories, leagues, all those kinds of things we get into with them. Uh, both of those links, the Discord server and the Patreon, are in the show description, so check that out if you're interested. And that'll do it for the preamble. Let's get into it. The first player performing well is going to be Eric Carlson. 11 points in 11 games, obviously... All fantasy managers are taking note of what Eric Carlson has been doing these days. Interestingly enough, um, when I dug into the numbers here, time on ice consistent with last year. I thought maybe he'd get a boost with Brent Burns out of town, but uh, pretty much exactly what he saw last year so far this year. Not really any more shots on goal or shots per 60, um, but he d is producing more individual scoring chances for. So basically the shots that he is generating are coming from better uh, goal scoring areas on the ice. So there is a little support for um, the extra goals he's been scoring early on uh, just based on his scoring chances uh, individual scoring chances that is being higher than last year or really throughout his career even it seems like he's getting to more high danger areas and getting those shots off closer to the net so obviously gonna have more chances to score if you're doing that whether he can sustain that um, throughout a whole season is yet to be seen it's a pretty high number right now um, but obviously through 11 games it's uh it's a solid sample size that we have at this point and he's performing really well in that in that statistic the uh, shooting percentage ipp on ice shooting percentage all high as you'd expect uh, i don't think many of us really think that eric carlson of old is suddenly going to materialize and he's going to be a point per game player once again um, but also along with that, the Corsi 4 per 60, so his on-ice numbers, uh, basically the team's numbers when he's on the ice, uh, his Corsi 4 per 60 and scoring chances 4 per 60, both higher than last year. Um, so there is some legitimacy to this. Um, I personally had Carlson projected for 60 points. Um, I think a lot of people before the season would have said that's pretty high. I don't think there were many uh, outlets really trying to pump Carlson's tires, so I feel pretty good about that projection, obviously, with the hot start that he's had. Uh, I don't really know that I trust him to do more than that. Uh, the Corsi 4 and scoring chances 4 numbers being higher and his individual scoring chances 4 numbers being higher, that really helps. 
but you do have to think that uh, the shooting percentage uh, and kind of those luck metrics will kind of even out a little bit. He might have a little bit higher shooting percentage because of the uh, increased individual scoring chances for relative to his shots. If he's getting more dangerous shots, then you expect the shooting percentage could creep up a little bit. But overall, you know, maybe I'm talking about going from a 60-point pace to a 65-point pace, really. These numbers are not so much bigger that uh, suddenly I'm going to project him as, you know, a 70, 75, 80-point defenseman. So temper your expectations if you're thinking that he's going to keep up a point per game all year. But if you're wondering whether... um, He can be a really impactful fantasy defenseman. Absolutely, he can do that. Uh, I had him projected that way, and I still believe that for sure. Number two, I want to talk about Vitek Vanacek. Three straight wins, including a win today in the afternoon. Three goals against in those three wins, so obviously averaging only one goal against per game. Interestingly, he's only had to face 21 to 24 shots in all three. No, No lower than 21, no higher than 24 in all three games. And really the takeaway for Vanacek in my mind is that New Jersey just looks super impressive right they're second in 5v5 Corsi 4 per 60 first in 5v5 scoring chances 4 per 60 at all strengths they're third and second in those metrics really they're just generating a ton of scoring chances and they're playing pretty well defensively as well so New Jersey being a bit of a a bit of a wagon if you will to borrow the term from Josh uh, who's on the midweek pod here Uh, New Jersey being a wagon really increases uh, the desirability of any goaltender who's getting any kind of volume, obviously. Um, They may suffer from a situation where they don't get terrific rate stats just because they don't see uh, an impressive amount of shots, right? If they're only going to see these low 20s shot numbers every single game, if New Jersey is going to be able to suppress uh, opposing teams, and like they've done it to, like they did it to Colorado in one of uh, Vanacek's starts, Vanacek shut out Colorado on Friday night and that's really impressive stuff from the Devils so overall I think you're looking at uh, basically any New Jersey goalie who is maintaining uh, the most of the volume is going to be interesting to me what we've seen with Ruff and the deployment so far is that when Blackwood was winning Blackwood was getting starts three straight starts for Blackwood then Blackwood coughs one up Vanacek goes in Vanacek performs it's right back to Vanacek so you may be kind of chasing back and forth I do expect that'll even out at some point but just because New Jersey is playing so well these goalies are going to be really valuable especially if your league really values if you're in a points league that really values wins or something like that or even shutouts uh, there could be lots of opportunity for stuff like that so uh, definitely whoever's in goal in New Jersey and receiving majority of the starts absolutely must roster at this point and from right now that's Vanacek and I'm going out and getting him wherever I can Next up, Dominique Kubalik, 11 points in 8 games. Obviously been a hot topic around fantasy hockey circles for a while now. Only 3 of these 8 games does he have more than 2 individual scoring chances for. That's not a great look. 92% IPP, 20% shooting percentage, 16% on-ice shooting percentage. All very high numbers that you really can't expect to keep up. The shots per 60 and individual scoring chances for per 60, they're back up for Kubelik relative to last year, but not to like tremendous levels, um, not back up to where he was in his first season in the league where he really had the big breakout. Um, I think 
I think it was on short shifts uh, earlier this week on the Keeping Carlson feed where uh, he was compared to Troy Terry, I think it was. And to me, this is kind of like Troy Terry, but on steroids, where Terry had a little bit more uh, underlying that made him look like he could sustain something. Kubalik uh, could be... You know, I'm going to say like a 55 to 65 uh, point player when this all kind of washes out and we see where he equalizes. But he does still look pretty inconsistent game to game. And it's really going to come down to his efficiency uh, unless he can really boost his volume numbers. And I just don't really trust him to be efficient over the course of a full season. I don't think you should trust many players to be efficient over the course of a full season. So I don't have a a huge outlook on Kubalik as far as points go. I think he's going to be rosterable for most of the year. He may have some cold streaks here and there where you wish you weren't rostering him. Um, but overall, I think Kubalik should settle into a kind of back end of your lineup kind of probable hold uh, through most of the season, if not all of it. Um, but definitely not the uh, super exciting player he has been for this recent stretch. Next up, Valerie Nichushkin, 12 points in 7 games. He's up nearly 1.5 minutes per night, so obviously getting some extra deployment. Most of that on the power play uh, relative to his numbers from last year. Obviously going to help his numbers. Right now he's rocking a 75% individual points percentage. He's never been over 60% in his career, interestingly enough. Obviously a bit of a late breakout, so you might uh, kind of... Take that for what it's worth, I guess. But 27% shooting percentage and a 20% on-ice shooting percentage, which is just absurd. I've almost never seen something uh, that high, even in a short span of games like this. So, um, yeah, obviously getting some positive variance here, Nichushkin. Um, but he is legitimately producing more shots for 60. Interestingly, less individual scoring chances for per 60, despite having more shots. So kind of firing from all angles, I guess, but not necessarily getting to those prime scoring areas as much. And also, interestingly, he's got a lower Corsi 4 per 60 and scoring chances 4 per 60, so team numbers there when he's on the ice. Um, lower than last year, um, this year so far, despite, you know, getting some better deployment throughout the season so far. So Overall, uh, no, I don't think Nichushkin is breaking out to some, you know, 90-point level. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's a very viable, you know, 65-point player, maybe 70 if he gets some positive variance, maybe if he keeps up the IPP um, a little more than we've seen throughout his career so far. He can be up in that range. But definitely, I don't think Nichushkin uh, is showing us really that he's taking a huge step into superstardom. I think he's still more of a... Uh, a secondary player like uh, Landeskog light almost uh, with Landeskog out here. So I think Nachushkin obviously going to be very rosterable. Uh, if you can sell high on Nachushkin right now based on uh, this unreal stretch that he's having, I absolutely would do that. Uh, but I do think obviously he's going to be valuable, just not quite as valuable as he's been so far. Next up, Stuart Skinner. This is a pretty interesting situation playing out in Edmonton where he's clearly outplaying Jack Campbell, who everyone thought was going to be the starter this year um, and take the majority of the work all year long. The reason we thought that is because Campbell signed a five-year, $25 million deal and obviously was the pick of the litter in free agency for the Oilers to solve their goaltending situation. But here we have Skinner completely outplaying him, playing exceptionally well uh, in the games that he's been able to get into. 
it's definitely feeling uh, recently that it's much more likely to become a tandem. Um, definitely, I would say Skinner getting a start, then giving the net back to Campbell for one game, but then getting the start again on Saturday night, prime game against the division rival and arch nemesis Calgary Flames. Definitely, that means something to me that the uh, coaching staff decided that uh, Skinner rather than Campbell was their best bet on that night after just one game in for Campbell. Uh, so it could be a true 50-50 split and they just keep alternating for a bit. It could be that Skinner gets the next game as well just because he's been playing so well and we get a, into a situation where Skinner's really actually quite valuable. It's it's really tough with the upcoming week here uh, because the Oilers only have three games. So if Skinner doesn't get the first game here, in this upcoming week, then you have to kind of anticipate that he's only going to get one game this week. So it's hard to pick someone up like that where you're really only counting on one game. If you have, you know, the space to do that, maybe everybody picked up all the streamers that you wanted. And so you're just looking for some upside. Uh, you could pick up Skinner and just see what happens. That's definitely a viable uh, way to go about things. Long term, I do feel like, you know, the gravity of of the situation will be on Campbell's side. And so uh, Campbell will basically have to play really bad to not get the majority of the work season long, in my opinion, or Skinner will have to play uh, just at unbelievable levels, uh, which is both things are obviously very possible. I'm not discounting that, but I think if you have to weight things in your mind, you have to weight the fact that the Oilers are committed to Campbell long-term and uh, we've seen it with Sergei Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight, where Bobrovsky keeps getting chance after chance after chance um, because of the contract that was given to him. Obviously, that's a much bigger contract, but the same kind of uh, thought experiment you can apply here, right, where you expect that gravity will be on Campbell's side in this situation and things will tend to go Campbell's way uh, unless the... Um, on-ice performance is just so defined in one way or the other uh, that it has to go the other way. So Skinner, in summary, I guess, an upside play, uh, a tough one to stomach in a three-game week like this, but if you have uh, kind of a spot where you're like, man, I just want to see if I can hit on something big this week, then Skinner certainly fits that profile. Next up, Brandon Montour. Montour is a must-add at this point. Uh, if you're in a league where Montour's not currently rostered, you need to go rectify that pretty much immediately. He's been skating 26 to 28 minutes a night with Ekblad out. Even when Ekblad comes back, you know, he could stay on that top power play. That's what they were running, Ekblad and Montour on the top power play when Ekblad got injured. So Montour could stick on the top power play. They could even bring Ekblad back a little slowly and keep him on the second power play just to kind of take some minutes away from Ekblad just given how good Montour's been so far. I definitely think that Montour has demonstrated that he's very well trusted now by the coaching staff there. I think even with power play two deployment we're looking at a probable 45 to 50 point pace uh, very very possible. He's been generating shots, he's been generating scoring chances, he's doing all the things that I like to see from my defenseman. He's kind of looking a little bit like Noah Dobson looked to me last year. Uh, obviously the situations are different, there was no real incumbent uh, top power play guy uh, with the Islanders last year and obviously there is in Florida with Ekblad. Uh, but 
you know, just as a profile of a defenseman kind of breaking out in a way, uh, Montour is kind of a little bit reminiscent of that. It's still very early, um, but definitely the way that Montour has been playing so far, uh, definitely, definitely has to be rostered in all leagues at this point. And lastly, on the performing well side of things, Max Domi, uh, six points in his last five games before Sunday. Line one, power play one with Patrick Kane, shooting 36% with a 13.9 on-ice shooting percentage. The shots for 60 and individual scoring chances for per 60 actually down from last year and from his career averages. So this one's kind of going to be short and sweet for you. Uh, I'm just not buying it with Max Domi. It, you know, Patrick Kane, obviously an elite talent. He can make people relevant for a time, but there is an expiration date. Uh, we saw him do it with Dylan Strom. Strom, I think, is still a better caliber of player than Max Domi. Uh, Domi is in a hot streak right now. Uh, if you want to try to ride the end of the hot streak here, you could probably try that. Uh, but I'm not going to because there's nothing really about what Domi's doing on the ice himself that's indicating to me that this is going to stick. So unless things turn around in terms of his underlying numbers, I think Domi is going to be a bust from this point onward. Okay, moving on to the players performing poorly of late. First off, we got to talk about Chris Letang. Five straight games without a point for Letang. Interesting point here that I want to go over. The average time on ice is down. Last year, up at 25 minutes, 46 seconds per night. This year, just 23 uh, minutes and 24 seconds average time on ice. There is a minute less on the power on the penalty kill. Rather, uh, he basically hasn't been getting any penalty kill work. Um, 22 seconds a night. So definitely a little bit of a change there. That accounts for one of those minutes going missing, but you're still looking at almost a minute and a half additional. That's coming straight out of his even strength time on ice. Um, so. That is a little bit worrying with Latang. You know, they went out and got Jeff Petrie in the offseason probably to take some of that even strength load, right? So uh, it does seem like a conscious de decision to reduce some of the workload on Latang. Uh, the 36% IPP should be about 10% higher if we're going by Latang's historical uh, career average. The shots are down, but the individual scoring chances for look fine. And honestly, the Corsi 4, the on-ice numbers, so what is what the team's doing with him on the ice, the Corsi 4 and the scoring chances for best of his career. So pretty impressive, actually, on that front. Now, the 8% on-ice shooting percentage, he's normally around 11% uh, in the past, so really feels like he's just missing a few points that he normally gets in that front. So overall, yes, I guess I'm uh, reducing my expectations for Latang based on the average time on ice being down. Uh, so far but really I think in the long run you're probably uh, expecting that Latang will still be a, at least a 55 point defenseman if maybe not you know 60 65 um, even up to 70 where he's been in the past so I still feel like Latang is at least a 55 point defenseman you know they could change this deployment again and bring it up further uh, that's entirely within the realm of possibility as well Overall, I'm not too worried about Latang, but I am kind of tempering my excitement a little bit over what, you know, where he was drafted, what you thought he was when you were drafting him. Uh, I would draft him a little lower, given this early information about how they're using him, than I would have on draft day. Next up, Evgeny Kuznetsov, four points in eight games off of line one with Ovechkin, which is obviously the huge story. Definitely 
And we're seeing that affect his time on ice down at 17 minutes, 53 seconds from 20 minutes and 16 seconds last year. Definitely taking a big hit in even strength time on ice there. Interesting that his individual scoring chances four per 60 is actually higher, but the shots per 60 are lower. Um, so it's kind of, a, I guess, a wash there. You know, he's taking less shots so far, but the scoring chances are there even more than usual. 83% IPP, so it's not really that he's not, uh, you know, being a part of the play. Uh, it's just that they're not scoring a lot when he's on the ice. 8% on ice shooting percentage. Kuznetsov himself, these four points are all assists, so obviously he's got a 0% shooting percentage. So I do expect it to be better, but similar to Latang, the time on ice drop is huge. So uh, when he's not on that top line with Ovechkin, like there's not a lot else. Washington is definitely not nearly as deep as they used to be. Tom Wilson being injured long term uh, reduces that depth even further. So definitely, uh, I don't know if I can really confidently say Kuznetsov is much more than what he's shown us so far, uh, you know maybe a 55 point player if he's not on line one when he's up on line one you know maybe give him the boost to 65 points playing with Ovechkin uh, that kind of pace but overall uh, definitely much more worried about Kuznetsov right now than I would have been in draft season quick one for number three just touching back in on Sam Reinhart who we talked about last week since last week in the four games that he played he's averaged three shots per game and over four individual scoring chances four per game still top power play 20 plus minutes per night just relax Sam Reinhart will be fine don't make any stupid moves just because you're angry that he hasn't put up the production that you're expecting if you can acquire Reinhart definitely go out this is the time to do it well he's still just finding zeros um in the actual scoreboard definitely all the underlying stats say that Sam Reinhart is every bit the player he was last year and could even be more to be honest uh, I, I definitely think Reinhardt could be uh, a big star in the from honestly from this point onward for the rest of the season he could be a huge star and contributor for your fantasy team so definitely looking to acquire Reinhardt still and probably it's more doable now than it was uh, a week ago so definitely looking to acquire Reinhardt given his recent struggles to actually find points on the score sheet and number four, John Klingberg. This guy is just MIA. Three straight games uh, before tonight's game against Toronto where he did not have a shot on goal. You know, Klingberg, he barely hits or blocks. Uh, he's never been that guy. But really, yeah, this is what Klingberg does. Um, he's never been a peripherals guy. Now he's on a worse team. You know, when you draft this profile of defenseman who's literally kind of just a power play specialist, when you draft a Klingberg or a Tory Krug, you ex can't expect them to just, you know, produce one point every other game and make you feel uh, solidified that they're at least doing what you expected they would do. They're, they're just never going to do that. There's going to be ebbs and flows to their season. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, I would think that after looking at these numbers and looking what he how bad Anaheim is honestly like even taking out Klingberg's own performance which has been terrible no doubt about it but taking out his own performance and just looking at the team context Anaheim has been so bad much worse than even I anticipated um I I'm pretty pretty bearish on uh Klingberg for the rest of the season um but overall I just want to make the point if you're if you're drafting uh, John Klingberg or Tori Kruger, any of these power play specialist defensemen, uh, Kalen Addison trending that way right now, 
if you're drafting any of these guys, you have to expect this. This is the kinds of ebbs and flows that you'll see in the season. I do think Klingberg will probably have a hot streak uh, at some point. You know, it could start next week. It could start in a month. It could be only the last two weeks of the season. Who knows? Uh, I do think Klingberg has shown throughout his career that he's capable of getting hot and capable of producing. But Anaheim as a team being so bad definitely lowers his uh, overall ceiling. And so for Klingberg specifically, I'm pretty much out at this point, definitely droppable. But for this profile of defenseman in general, if you can't stomach the downtimes, then uh, don't don't draft these guys, basically, is what I'm saying. Because there will be downtimes uh, when they're, because they don't produce a ton of shots, a ton of blocks, a ton of hits. It looks like just big bagels in your in your stat sheet when you're checking up on how they did after the game, and it never feels good. So if you can't handle that uh, for a week or two weeks or when these guys get cold, then maybe think about drafting other profiles of defensemen. Number five, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Um, pretty interesting um, stat line that he's put together in the young season so far. Best shots per 60 and individual scoring chances for per 60 of his career so far. Obviously, you know, we probably expect that'll uh, trend down a little bit over the course of a season, but definitely a hot start for Bjorkstrand. The average time on ice, he started out getting tons of minutes, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20 minutes a game. That's come back down in recent games. He may kind of settle into a 16, 16 and a half minute range now. Um, maybe 17 if we're lucky so you know build that into where you think Bjorkstrand's ceiling is but the shooting percentage here is just 2.5 percent on ice shooting percentage is just 5.3 percent um, these numbers will turn around Bjorkstrand um, I think is doing all the right things I'm definitely uh, I don't think Bjorkstrand is above streamer territory for me yet um I'd like to see him get hot, and Bjorkstrand, as I've said before, is one of these guys who really does seem to go hot and cold for no apparent reason, and nothing that we can really, you know, hang our hat on uh, injury-wise or something, you know, external to the game that's affecting his performance. He does just really seem to go hot and cold in extreme measures, and the fact that he's not scoring uh, when he's actually kind of hot in terms of producing chances is a little bit concerning, so... Right now, I'm interested in Bjorkstrand. You know, if Seattle had a good schedule this week, I'd be all over Bjorkstrand as a streamer. Uh, absolutely no problem um, with rostering him without the actual points on the board, just based on those shots and individual scoring chances. I'd be all over that. Um, but I don't think Bjorkstrand is more than streamer-level territory for me right now. Number six, Sam Bennett. This is obviously a bit of a corollary to Sam Reinhart, who we were talking about before. Both are on the second line now. I actually kind of like that for both of them. Reinhart, uh, maybe a bit more of a setup guy, and Bennett, uh, definitely a shooter. Um, Reinhardt, though, to be honest, has been shooting a ton of late as well. Now, Bennett is pointless in five straight games. Um, definitely going to be some fed-up managers out there. I've uh, seen a lot of them asking me what to do with Bennett, so that's one of the reasons he made it into this list here tonight. But he's averaging uh, five individual scoring chances, four per game, and over four shots per game in those last five games that he's been pointless in. His lowest time on ice in any one game this season is 17 minutes and 22 seconds. That's very good deployment for Bennett. So overall, I'm just totally unworried about Bennett producing. Um, it's just a cold streak. It's one of those things that happens to everybody. Florida is really starting to pick up the pace without Ekblad. It seemed like they were scuffling a bit early on in the season, but it does seem like they're really starting to pick up the pace uh, of, of late. They 
totally dominated Ottawa in shot share. 53 shots I think they had against Ottawa on Saturday. So I really think that Sam Bennett is uh, probably just a couple of lucky breaks away from going on a nice uh, nice little run for us. I'm not too worried about the pointless in five straight. I'm holding him where I have him, and I think you should too. And lastly here, we've got Michael Bunting, uh, pointless in his last three before Sunday night's game here. And he's just been very up and down from game to game, moving on and off the Matthews line. It seems like Sheldon Keefe hasn't been too thrilled about Bunting's performances game to game. And it does seem fair, uh, just based on the game log and uh, what Bunting's done in terms of advanced stats. His on-ice shooting percentage is low, but everything else is kind of in line. Uh, he kind of is what he is. He's an ancillary piece when he's on that Matthews line with Marner. Um, definitely worth rostering, worth holding, worth uh, keeping around. But when he's not on that line and he gets moved down the lineup, he's absolutely uh, pretty much worthless, honestly, at that point. Because he's just not one of these guys who's going to, you know, dominate play himself or drive play enough himself. He's definitely more of a, an ancillary piece in that way. So bunting uh, really just tied to that deployment. So keep watching that deployment. Um, as long as he's with Matthews and Marner, I'm okay to roster him, but I wouldn't mind cutting bait with him um, at any point. And honestly, if he gets hot, you maybe you want to move on from him um, at that point when you can sell him for something decent. Uh, that's definitely a possibility as well. I'm just uh, a little more concerned, I guess, about Bunting's downside um, just deployment-wise than I was. I kind of fig figured that he'd be an absolute fixture on that top line, but with Toronto struggling a bit more to score goals than they have, um, obviously, <laughs> basically since Matthews and Marner arrived to the Leafs. So I think Bunting is just kind of going to be a scapegoat <laughs> at times and potentially moved around the lineup more than we thought and that makes him a lot more expendable than we thought as well for fantasy. And that's all I've got for this episode. Hopefully it brought you some value, helped you get just a little bit better at fantasy hockey today. All the advanced stats you heard today came from Natural Stat Trick, which is a beautiful free resource. Many thanks to the band there there for supplying the music for the podcast. Be sure to check out their Spotify as well. And that's it, folks. Much love.